It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It looks like Kemba Walker is coming back, and ESPN's Mike Breen joins the podcast. It's the Wednesday Locked On Celtics. Millie's Let's Go. So high right now. Anything's possible. I'm on mama. I'm on my baby, ma. Anything's possible. Rainy Jay's back with the vengeance back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. This the truth like 34. This like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily. Mainly podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it, got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, it's the best way. Melly. Wednesday hump day, and I am here to get you through it. I'm John Corrales of MassLive.com, and I want to thank you for making this show part of your daily routine. Coming up in segments two and three, ESPN's Mike Breen, who is in town to call the Boston Celtics Brooklyn Nets, which was supposed to be the return of Kyrie Irving. We know it is not the return of Kyrie Irving. He may play in the game on Friday, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in the game on Friday because it's at home and, well, you know. Kemba Walker may play on Wednesday. In fact, he's probable to play. The Boston Celtics announcing on Tuesday that Kemba Walker is probable to play, which means he went through the practice. He has apparently cleared through the version of the concussion protocol that the Celtics put him through. It wasn't the official Protocol, as you heard on the uh, last podcast, but it was the Boston Celtics out of an abundance of caution, let's say, putting him through their paces to uh, make sure that he's fine, to make sure that he's healthy. If you didn't hear that podcast, just as a quick recap, the Celtics after Kemba, his injury, went through all the tests in Dallas, was cleared to come back home to Boston put him through his own series of tests. He never lost consciousness. He never had a concussion. But because concussions are kind of tough to fully diagnose and and they can happen at different times, it's not just immediately after the head injury, they decided we're going to put him through the concussion protocol, not officially enter the concussion protocol, but they put him through the same paces of the concussion protocol. So... He went through everything, and the last step was going through the practice on Tuesday. The Celtics did not have an official practice, but they put him through a workout apparently, and it looks like he came through fine. So he's listed as probable. I assume just so we can wake up and make sure that he doesn't wake up with any symptoms. Um, again, that's not the official word, but just just to be clear, because you don't know with a concussion or, or anything like that, Just let him do his thing. He seems fine. Let him wake up in the morning, and if he feels good in the morning, it seems like he'll play. The Celtics do have a morning shoot-around scheduled, so we'll find out probably around lunchtime whether everything is 100%, but it looks like Kemba Walker is going to play. So to recap, Kyrie Irving has an impingement in his right shoulder, and he's going to miss a significant amount of time. 
Kemba Walker looks like he ran headfirst into a brick wall, ran off on a stretcher, got carted off on a stretcher, he misses one game. So, I mean, I don't want to belittle Kyrie Irving's injury, but, I mean, we'll see. (laughs) We'll see. So, that's the news for the Boston Celtics on this Wednesday. Um, Other than that, I don't have much because the Celtics had an off day. Uh, Everything's pretty low-key. I haven't heard anything new on uh, Gordon Hayward. The only other thing that happened, which was pretty funny, was Grant Williams went to the Celtics offices and handed everybody a candle, a little mini candle that says, let's have a great year. Appreciate all you do for us from Grant, which is the most adorable thing that you're ever going to see out of a basketball player. Like, come on. If you go to the Celtics Twitter, you'll see it. Um, It's just, I don't even know how to put it other than it's adorable. Grant's just such an adorable guy. Like it's, he's, he's just funny. Uh, it's wild. And I don't want to make the comparison directly to Kevin Garnett, but the difference between the Grant Williams persona off the floor and the Grant Williams competitor is, is wide. Um, and I haven't seen a person change as much as this since Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett changed a whole lot more, let's say. I think I don't think Kevin Garnett was anywhere near as like lovable and goofy. Like he was, you know, he, he's fun person uh, off the court, but not this level of like adorable. I don't think anybody will ever call Kevin Garnett adorable. So when he turned it up, he went like way past eleven on the volume meter. But Grant, the competitor Grant is is fiery. And he, he's like a, a 180 from who he is off the court. But handing out candles to all the Celtics employees, man, I don't know how else to put it. He's just he's just a fun-loving goofball. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. Oh, oh before, I, before I do, I just want to point out that I'm recording this just as the Mavs game is starting. And wow, those uniforms that they're wearing are bad. And we thought the Celtic City edition was bad. Oh man. Uh that's not great. It's kind of like gradient blue with a bad graffiti Mavs. Like it's not even full graffiti. And they've added this highlighter green thing to it. I don't know. You're gonna have to check that out. Look at the highlights. <laughs> When we come back, Mike Breen joins the podcast. He is in town to broadcast Celtics and Nets. And I talked to him for about 20 minutes. And you'll hear what he has to say when we come back on the Lockdown Celtics podcast. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. 
and the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. You guys know Mike Breen from the ESPN broadcast. He's a uh, probably one of the definitive play-by-play voices of our time. And he does the Knicks home broadcast. He's a, a New York native. Broadcasting the Knicks was a life home, lifelong dream, and he's realizing it on top of broadcasting the ESPN games and obviously the ESPN on ABC games. Uh, really uh, enjoyed having this conversation with him. As brief as it was, 20 minutes is not really a whole lot of time to talk much to a guy like Breen who's been around the NBA for a while. But it was a fun conversation, a good conversation. The first part of it was all about basketball and the Celtics. The second part of it was more about him and his broadcasting career. So enjoy this conversation with ESPN's Mike Breen. Mike, thank you uh, for joining the podcast. Uh, let's let's just dive right into this because you're doing Celtics Nets. How disappointed are you that you don't get to call Kyrie Irving's return to Boston? <laughs> that was one of the uh, one of the games, John, when the schedule came out. Like, okay, that's going to be a fun night, and it still still might be might be a great game, but uh, a little of the luster has been uh, has been taken off it. So, hopefully, the next time they play in Boston, uh, so we get to see it. Um, uh, we'll see. We'll see. I know Celtics fans are not. Uh, really holding their breath for that. Um, how much time did you block out to pause for booze for Kyrie Irving? <laughs> yeah, uh, in, uh, in play-by-play, they, they call it laying out. I had planned on laying out quite a bit. <laughs> uh, so you got to see the Celtics um, in Los Angeles. Hey, was that the only game you had done uh, of the Celtics this season? That was the first. Per, no, actually, I did them earlier in a Nick game at the Garden. Ah, right, right, because obviously you you do that as well. Um, so Celtics, a uh, bit of a surprise for everyone. I heard you and Doris talking about it a little bit. Uh, what, what's your, I guess, take on on what you've seen so far from the Celtics? You know, I'm I'm not surprised. Um, I, I really thought this year um, they had a chance to be as as good as anybody in the East and. Yeah, I understand going in uh, a Milwaukee and a Philadelphia might want to put them a little bit above, and I'm okay with with somebody saying that. But uh, if they're a little below them, it's a very small, small little area because I, I think for for the Celtics two years ago, their strength was their chemistry, 
that's what got them to the conference finals, obviously, in addition to, you know, talent and coaching. Uh, but the chemistry was so good with that team. And last year, the weakness was probably the lack of the chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've seen early in the season, to me, that chemistry that I saw two years ago is back. Guys that enjoy playing with each other. Um, guys that are rooting for each other. And I, I'm not throwing this all on Kyrie Irving. Obviously, it was it was not a good match uh, last season. But I, I do think that, that this this team, this group, um, when he's been taken off and now they are, they're on their own again, and you add a, a, a guy like Kemba Walker, uh, I think chemistry is going to be their strength again in addition to just having talent and coaching. And I think it's, it's when Brad Stevens is at his best, I think any coach really. Um, but just overall, I, I think they're going to be a, a team that's going to be a really difficult out. And when you look at three particular guys in, in Gordon Haywood, Jason Tatum, and, and Jalen Brown um, that were all just not at their top of their games last year for, you know, they had their own individual reasons. This year, I think we're going to see the best of all three of them. Obviously, Haywood with the injury, but that's that's what gives me the, the thought that I think the Celtics can be as good as anybody in the East. You've been around this league for, for a bit, and so – what do you what do you see in a team that goes through something like what Boston did when they've got talent that's unrealized, but then some of that same talent that was unrealized before is now on the team that is overachieving? I mean, this isn't the first time it's happened in the NBA. What through your experience, what, what kind of is the metamorphosis between that team, the lessons that they learn, and becoming a good team again? You know, it's it's the old phrase, John, of that which doesn't kill you makes you better. And I think, you know, for their growth, we we forget two years ago that year they go to the conference finals. Just how young Jalen Brown and 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 Tatum were. Right. I mean, they were so young yet they performed at such a high level. And it's almost like, wow, I, I didn't expect it to to get uh, for either one of them to be that good that quickly. But they did, and they did it on the biggest stage. Um, so. You know, the next year, the high hopes that they're going to take it to the next step, uh, and they had to learn how to deal with, you know, a star player who came in and had the ball in his hands a lot. They had to deal with all of a sudden being looked at as, hey, you're not reaching your potential, either team-wise or individual-wise. And I think that's that's great growth for both of them. And I think they both have come back this year with that kind of serious to show just how good they are, how consistent they are. And I think that's that's the key for both of them. Uh, I mean, we've seen flashes, more than flashes, but um, to be consistently a top player night in and night out is a really hard thing to do. And I think both of them are on their way. And and that's all part of, of going through that last year, I think, was an unbelievable learning process. Painful for them at times, but uh, but I think something that's going to benefit them down the line. It's hard to hard to remember sometimes that these guys are both still in their rookie deals which is is still kind of nuts. It feels like they've been here for a long time. Um, you saw Gordon Hayward. You didn't get to see Gordon Hayward in the Clippers game, but you you did get to see Gordon Hayward earlier. What what's your impression of Gordon Hayward from this year? Obviously, he's better, but like what what are you seeing from from him? Well, he, he when when he was at his best that last year in Utah, uh, he was just he was this attacking aggressive player in so many ways and, and you know i always loved his playmaking sure he can score he can throw up on a given night he can give you 30 uh but it was his playmaking that that to me made him such a good player and it was because of how aggressive he was he just he just didn't have that on a regular basis last year and and you can understand that i mean such a a, a horrific injury 
And it's going to take a while before you lose that tentativeness. And that's what I saw early in the season. It was just like he was in attack mode all the time and not necessarily to score, but to play make. And, you know, he's, he's always been a cerebral player. He's always been a player that gets other guys involved. Uh, but when push comes to shove, um, he's he's a tough player. He looks like a choir boy, but he's a tough player, and that's the way he was playing early. Uh, you're a seasoned professional. Um, that's twice now you've, you've mentioned um, you know, being age. around a while. So I think it's I think it's you can just say you're old. No, and look, I'll be okay with that. I John. can tell you. I tell you what. As one old guy to another, I suppose. <laughs> um, I'm no young kid either. So. Um, but the reason I, I phrase it like that is through your, I'll, I'll say it this way too, your wealth of experience. How's that? Uh, <laughs> That's a nice way of saying all. <laughs> um, what do you make of Marcus Smart? Um, he'll just be, he'll be one of those guys that you will never, ever be able to measure his impact by numbers. Um, you know, there's guys throughout the, the history of the league that have been like that. He, He's one of my favorite players just because of that. Um, you know, it's the old phrase of he could be two for 13 from the field and still have an yeah. amazing impact on the game. Um, you know, the, the cliche I always throw out a lot is he, he is first team all NBA grit. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also, you know, he's, he's got, he's more than just, just toughness now. He's also, he's, you know, just the way he's reading, reading the floor, um, his playmaking has, has really gotten better. Um, and even though his shooting percentages are probably never going to be super high, he just seems to have a knack for hitting, hitting a shot when you really need it. And I do truly believe, John, that guys like him, um, and again, there's not a lot, but there, there are a decent amount, but a guy, guy like him, he raises the level of a team's defense, of a team's toughness, and of a team's intensity. And um, to me, that's that's the number one thing and, and how he does that on a nightly basis. When you're there, like the, the Clippers game, I I loved that, that game. Um, first of all, like playoff intensity, the defense, but Marcus Smart and Patrick Beverly were just like trying to take turns one-upping one, one another. That Marcus Smart play where he strips Kawhi and j- dives out of bounds and save it, how do you keep yourself from swearing on air when <laughs> things like that are happening? Because the inclination is to be like, holy shit, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah, you know, John, it's it's um, that comes with being old or being experienced. <laughs> in that, cause you, See, that's you why know, I phrase still... it that way. I'm doing it. I'm. I have been doing it a long time, uh, and I still. The thing I love the most is I haven't lost one bit of, of joy for the game, and you know I, I love the, the the star players that are doing magnificent things, whether it's Antetokounmpo or Doncic right now, but I've always had um, a special place in my heart for the type of players who just will do anything, uh, to help his team win, and that's where I usually get the most excited. But, you know, you just learn to make sure you don't swear because uh, you want to continue to get a, uh, have a job. But that's, that's to me, is almost harder to do because I, I've always felt partial to those kind of players, the hardworking players who, um, you know, who do the little things, the intangibles, whatever you want to say, whatever cliche you want to use. That's my favorite kind of player, and it always has been. So sometimes you have to, you know, it's okay. I, I really do think it's okay for an announcer once in a while to sound like a fan because – I am. I'm a fan of, of great basketball. I'm a fan of, of basketball, whatever it takes to win. So sometimes you get a little overboard, but as long as you don't use profanity, I think you're okay. <laughs> 
Uh, that's why I'm on this side. Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. Let's transition to a little bit about yourself. Uh, everybody talks about the meticulous notes you take, and, and you're obviously you're well prepared. But to me, one of the things that stands out is is your personality. I mean, you have to hold your own with the likes of Clyde Frazier. You have to hold your own with Jeff Van Gundy, and there. Uh, how did you develop just being who you are? Like, how did this personality come about? Well, I don't know how to answer that, um, except that, you know, it takes a while when, when you first start doing this, you just want to get the basics down and you want to be a good, solid, fundamental play by play man. So that's all you concentrate on. And I even tell young broadcasters, um, when I talk to them and they ask for advice that, you know, um, be good at the nuts and bolts of play by play and then throw in your personality and then throw in your your you know particular phrases you like to use. I, I think I've always felt that you need to uh, to your viewers or your radio listeners because uh, that's how I started in radio. You need to get them to kind of respect you first, and then then you have the right to show them a little of personality. I, that's that's the way I, I do it. I, it's kind of old fashioned, and I don't know if others feel the same way, uh, but that's what I've tried to do. So early on, I wouldn't do it, John, and then. As it got on, and, and then you have a good rapport, and this has a lot to do with it. You have, a, if you have a good rapport with your analyst, you're comfortable. You feel really comfortable, so you're not afraid to show your personality and do back and forth. And like with Mark Jackson and, and Jeff Van Gundy, we've been friends for 25 years. Uh, I've known Doris for over 20 years. I'm doing the game with Doris tomorrow. Uh, Doug Collins and I, you know, when we worked together, we were such good friends. Same thing with Yubi. And when you have, and obviously Clyde, who I've worked with longer than anybody, when you have that comfort level and, and you're broadcasting with a real friend, not just a partner, a professional partner, but a real friend, I, I think that allows you to be more uh, yourself on the air. Does that make sense? Because I, I, I do think that's a lot, lot, lot has a lot to do with it because I, I, I'm so comfortable with the people I'm working with. Yeah, because, I mean, it's not always going to be jam-packed action like that Celtics-Clippers games. You're going to have some some downtime, some garbage time that you're going to have to fill. And if you don't like each other, uh, that could probably get a little bit awkward, right? Oh, there's there's no doubt it makes a difference. I think it's the actually the, the most underrated part of, you know, when people talk about broadcast teams, uh, it's the most underrated part when, you know, you have things in common. You know each other very well. You know likes and dislikes. So that way you can poke fun. And, you know, just for example, with, with Mark and Jeff, um, I mean, we make fun of each other and, and get on each other all the time and nobody's feelings ever get hurt because we're friends right. and the, the stuff that we're, uh, breaking each other's horns on the air about is the same thing we're doing in the car on the way over. It's just, it comes over on the air. And I, I think that's, at least I hope that's what viewers can pick up on. And, and if, if I'm at home and I'm watching a game, whatever sport, and it sounds like the two announcers or three announcers really like each other. That enhances it for me because it, if they're if they're having a good time, then I'm having a good time as a viewer. So um, that's what you strive for. Uh, why basketball? What was it about basketball that that drew you in early on? Yeah, you know, good question. I mean, I, I grew up in a family of six boys, 
So it was all sports all the time in my house as a kid. So we played everything. Uh, I mean, baseball, basketball, football, dodgeball, wiffle ball. Uh, soccer was the one sport we, we didn't play growing up. Um, but I, I loved basketball because because um, of the team aspect. Um, you know, certain sports, it's a little more individual. I, I just loved working with with my teammates when I played high school basketball and you know, executing the perfect play or, you know, putting together this great team defense with a 3-2 zone. To me, that was, there was nothing more satisfying than when you you accomplish something on the court with a bunch of guys and you did it together. And and I think that's what, what really drew me. And as a kid, I was influenced by, by the Knicks um, and that championship team that, you know, they were the epitome of team basketball. And, and obviously the, the, um, the Boston fans are, are spoiled with so many examples of that in, in their franchise history. So uh, to make a long story short, it, the team aspect, John, is, is always what uh, what I loved about the sport. It's funny. You talk about the team. You talk about Jeff and, and Mark in terms of a team. You talk about all of your partners in terms of a team. Yet you're in this industry – that's all about like me, me, me. I've spent many, many years in the broadcast industry and, and talent's always about talent. Um, obviously not always, but, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting that you in a prominent role faces on there, your voice is on there. You're the recognizable one. I'm talking to you right now. You're the one promoting things, but everything you're talking about is about a team. It's it's kind of interesting to me, and, and how how have you like advanced your career by not focusing on the I guess selfish aspect of things? Um, you know what, John? I think that that goes back to how I grew up. Um, again, my family was I had a great childhood, uh, and my mother and father they were the they were the types that they just they get along with everybody, um, and and had you know, people skills, they just, they just treated everybody with kindness and respect. And, and that's kind of the way I've tried to model myself after them. Uh, I've fallen woefully short, but I'm still trying. And, um, I think, you know, our our business because of that team aspect, and it's not just the on-air people. Um, there are so many important people in the truck that if one person doesn't do their job, well, it, everybody looks bad or it makes it hard for everybody to look good. And, and that's, again, that's the beauty of, of why I love broadcasting is because you have all these people getting together and, and working. And I'm, I'm smart enough to know that, that um, I need a lot of help, whether it's from <laughs> producers, directors, camera people, or my analyst, or even stat statistician. I have, I have a, a guy that's been doing stats for me for, for 25 years, a guy named Dave Freed. And, and I'm better because he's sitting next to me. And I'm better because, uh, you know, I have a producer in my ear who's, who's telling me what to do. So um, it's not false modesty. Um, it's, it's just it's a fact. And uh, between growing up and seeing how, how my parents uh, dealt with a lot of people and then realizing um, it's the same thing in this business, that you, you've got to get along with people and you've got to trust people and work with people, um, it's, um, it makes it a little bit easier to do it that way. Well, I mean, I, I'll just take an aside here. As a former TV producer, I appreciate somebody who says that that's on camera. Uh, speaking on behalf of all of us producers and former producers, uh, that's very much appreciated. Uh, what job came along that you didn't take that could have derailed your career? 
Wow, that you know, there's a few of them. Um, my my first job out of out of college, and I went to Fordham University in the Bronx. And my first job out of college, I I didn't get a job for about I'm going to say about five or six months after I graduated. I worked for a radio station in Poughkeepsie, mm-hmm. Poughkeepsie, New York, and. I was doing news. I wasn't doing sports. And one of my my jobs is I would cover the Dutchess County legislature. So I would cover all the political goings on in Dutchess County. And um, the man who was in charge of um, all the media relations for the Dutchess County legislature, a gentleman by the name of Tim Massey, uh, he knew I knew nothing about anything with the Dutchess County legislature. <laughs> I mean, I was going in blind on every story. And he kind of every story he'd, he'd give me a couple of facts to help me report. And he just, I mean, we became great, great friends. He just was the person that just, he was one of those people that went, went out of, went out of his way to make sure I, I could figure out what I was doing. So I did that for a couple of years and I, I was making very little money up there, which was okay with me. And then he decided to leave that position. He was getting a, a better job and he offered that. He said, he goes, I think you'd be great at this. And the the money was like four times the amount of what I was making as a radio reporter, and obviously it was it was interesting, and the, the idea of, of making money uh, seemed to be a, a pretty cool thing. And I I thought about it, and if I would have taken that, my career would have taken a complete different path, obviously. But I said, you know what? No, I I really want to get into sportscasting. I want to do play by play, and and I had a chance to do Maris basketball up in Poughkeepsie coming up, so. I turned that down. So if, if I had taken that, um, who knows? Who knows what would have happened? <laughs> we would see you. We'd be interviewing you on a political podcast as you covered the impeachment hearings. And that would be frightening for all of America. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike, uh, I won't take up any more time. I uh, really appreciate you uh, joining the podcast for uh, a little bit of time here. Celtics and Nets on ESPN. Uh, that's going to be a fun one. And I uh, really appreciate talking to you for a little bit. Thank John. Thank you so much. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Just really enjoyed that conversation with Mike. I mean, he, he seems like just a, a legitimately good guy. And everything that I've read and heard and people I've talked to uh, will say the same thing. So it's, it was really cool to uh, talk to Mike and, and get his perspective on the Celtics and on broadcasting. And glad he didn't go into that political career. So I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you're a first-time listener, please go ahead and subscribe wherever your podcasts uh, are available, wherever you get your podcasts. We are everywhere. If you can follow me on Twitter, I'm at RedsArmy underscore John. You can follow the show at LO Celtics, at LockedOnCeltics on Instagram. And all of you regular listeners, give us that five-star rating. Give the show that good written review and share the podcast. Tell everybody, listen to the Lockdown Celtics podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.